Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Live from the Sirius XM studios in New York City, this is Busted Open. Your only destination for daily pro wrestling talk in the entire world. From the independent scene to the main event of WrestleMania, no one covers pro wrestling like Busted Open. Eddie Guerrero was Busted Open. Hot topics, breaking news, and interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. A show designed for the fan by the fan. Old school. The irritable force meeting the immovable object. Meets new school. Busted open. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Live now. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome. To remembering the territories, I'm Dave LaGreca right here on Busted Open. Let me bring in my tag team partner, the innovator of violence, the landlord of the House of Hardcore, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, we are going to be taking each and every show, one of the great territories that made history in the world of pro wrestling. And some people think that this may be the greatest territory of all time. So we're starting today with Mid-South Wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about hardcore before hardcore was cool. We're talking uh, blood. We're talking barbed wire matches. We're talking feuds. We're talking sold out packed houses. And you could see if you go and watch it on the WWE Network or if you watch it on YouTube, literally the houses go up and the wrestling just keeps on progressing. And they did some like major, major angles at where your business just popped. And it's just, it's such an interesting mix when we first started discussing, like, what can we talk about? We talk about the territories because we have, you know, so many fans that, you know, are our age as well as younger fans that know all about territorial wrestling. But man, Mid-South wrestling was, it was awesome, man. And it was, you know, based out of Louisiana, but it branched out. Uh, all over and to its almost, you know, its, its expansion, uh, which then eventually led to the demise. But, you know, we're all about positive and talking about the awesomeness of everything that was Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, and it was a territory, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and cowboy Bill Watts uh, bought the company in 1979. And that's when he renamed the territory Mid-South Wrestling. And Mid-South Wrestling ran from 1979 to 1987 when it became the UWF, but that company under Bill Watts. And, you know, again, you look back on it, it was less than a decade, but they did a lot in less than a decade, Tommy. Hey, there was a company called ECW that lasted less than a decade and they uh, did a lot too. Um, When you, you, when I think of Mid-South wrestling, I think of all the stars it created. I also think of like, 
the Irish McNeil's boys club. I think of Jim Ross, the early days of it. But the biggest thing is the stars that it developed uh, that became household names and, you know, hall of famers, but it really was, a wrestling territory. You know, if you go back and you watch, which I'm doing, you're doing, you know, the WWF at the time, they weren't as big as Mid-South. They were there. It was just, it was so different, but this was a definite working man's territory as well as some big men. um, And a lot of biggest thing feuds, because that's how these men and women Mainly men all got paid weekly from the houses, but it was all from the feuds and why it was good versus evil. And there was a lot of particular sticking to detail, which I think was a key for Bill Watson and his mind and his vision of what Mid-South Wrestling was. And you mentioned the stars of Mid-South Wrestling. How about this? I'll throw out some names at you that was a part of Mid-South in their heyday. The Junkyard Dog, the Fabulous Freebirds, the Midnight Express, Sting, Shane Douglas, Rick Steiner, Eddie Gilbert. Steve, Dr. Death Williams, the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, you know, Ted DiBiase, who we're going to talk to on this special as well. I mean, Hacksaw Butch Reed, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I mean, some of the biggest names in the history of pro wrestling, you know, went through or started in Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, man. And, you know, uh, I recently sent you a link on YouTube, uh, which was like 1979, right in the early days. And it was... uh, there, the the stars there, they weren't really, really stars. Uh, the television show wasn't action-packed. It was like slow plotting. And then all of a sudden, like, it turned. And I feel it turned when, uh, in my opinion, when the, the Junkyard Dog Freebirds uh, feud started. It was Bill Watts, I believe, that put uh, Buddy Jack with these two young guys named Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes. And they did a blinding of the junkyard dog angle. And, you know, wrestlers back then, uh, they JYD went into the hood, as they said, and he walked the streets blind and said he was going to get Michael Hayes. And the only way he could see him, uh, he couldn't see him, but he could feel him. And they had the dog collar match. And it was at the friggin' Superdome, man. Think about that. And they would do uh, either, either uh, bi-annually or quarterly shows I know it was always like a Christmas Day spectacular at the friggin' Superdome where you do WrestleMania. They would be there first. Yeah, and and they drew for that match that you're talking of, like, you know, after that blinding angle, you know, Michael Hayes and Junkyard Dog did over 30,000 at the, at the Superdome. And people would say, well, you know, we see that WrestleMania, you know, 75,000. This is just a regional promotion that is just in that area, you know. Not a lot of people outside of like Oklahoma or Louisiana knew of Mid-South Wrestling other than the, you know, pro wrestling magazines. That's a, you know, a big thing that we've talked about before. So, so Tommy, that, that's a, a huge amount of people that went and saw that matchup. Yeah. And, and, you know, he always, I guess, you know, when Jim Ross has talked about it, uh, Bill Watts has talked about it too. Uh, back then, if you know a territory started getting stale or the houses either were starting to decline, you would switch bookers. And I know uh, Buck Robley was a booker for a little bit. Uh, the Grappler was a, a booker for a little bit. Um, and Ernie Ladd was a booker for a little bit, which was, you know, a first to have an African-American uh, booker. But when I talk about like Mid-South, I really do think of 
wrestling and really, really good wrestling. And yeah, you know, Jim Ross would always sell like a wild, wild west at the end, uh, you know, tune in next week as like almost like a cliffhanger. But, and I say this, uh, and I'll say that till the day I don't, you know, old school will never die. And, but as long as you had good wrestlers leading the ship, fans will come out to see it. And, and it holds true today. Um, and, and I mean, the, the pure great wrestlers, and, and I watch it like from fundamentally sound from their earliest days. I mean, I'm watching a young Arn Anderson as basically an enhancing his teeth here in Mid-South, but yet um, here he is just putting other guys over to leave, get more experience, and then he comes back. And I feel UWF or Mid-South was just such uh, a great place to learn you also had that strict leadership from a Bill Watts. If you did things that he didn't like, you were out of there. Well, one of the best heels of all time. And I, you know, hated him the most probably when he was a part of Mid-South Wrestling. That's Ted DiBiase. He's going to join us on our special, Tommy. Mid-South Wrestling, remembering the territories when Tommy and I are back right here on Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's Remembering the Territories Mid-South Wrestling Special, only on Sirius XF Fight Nation Channel 156. He's Rick Kamler. Come on, man. He's Antonio Daniels. Cam, you got to give me more. Together, they host Give and Go. You've lost six games in a row. You just had a terrible ending of regulation. I'm rolling the dice. A player's worst enemy is himself. Of course he's going to want to play because he's a competitor. You don't get to that level without competing. But just because you want to be on the floor at all times, that does not mean that's what's best for you at that time. Give and Go. Weekdays from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Sirius 207 XM 86. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories Mid-South Wrestling Special. Here's Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Remembering the Territories. We're doing Mid-South Wrestling, myself and the innovator of violence himself, Tommy Dreamer. And one of the wrestlers that you think about, first of all, Tommy, we could have gotten them to come on to several different territories that we're talking about. I mean, Georgia we got to get him on at some point to talk about the feud with Mr. R, but I digress. Let's talk about <laughs> Mid-South Wrestling. Let's bring in Hall of Famer, the one and only Ted DiBiase. Sir, how are you today? Very good, guys. How are you? We're great. And, you know, when we're talking Mid-South Wrestling, what do you first think of when you hear Mid-South Wrestling? Cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, you know, uh, and, and Mid-South was my first, my very first territory. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was funny. It was because Dick Murdoch, who was a very good friend of mine, uh, who's from Texas, uh, you know, I was finishing up my third year of college, West Texas State, up in the Panhandle, you know. And of course, that's where a lot of, a lot of wrestlers went to West Texas State, um, largely due to the influence of the Funk family. Uh, so Murdoch says, Hey, you know, you refereed last summer and he says, you know, I could probably get Bill Watts to break you in and, you know, come to the Louisiana. Well, it's Louisiana. It's a big territory. I mean, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, huge territory. And, um, and, and give you a shot at breaking in. And so that's what I did in the summer of 75. And things went so well that I, I didn't go back and finish college. I still regret it. I had one year left, 
but you know, wrestling was always in my blood. And so going back, going to Mid-South was, that's where I started. And, and for the first 12 years of my career, you know, until I went back to the WWF, um, I spent the majority of that time working for Bill Watts. Because in my opinion, Bill probably, you know, I mean, he, he tutored under Eddie Graham. Uh, and Bill is a brilliant guy. And my understanding of the psychology of what we do, I learned most of that. I, I give more credit to Bill Watts than anybody. Uh, and and the, 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 the enormous amount of talent that I was exposed to, you know, uh, in the beginning, you know, I, you don't realize it while you're doing it, but you look back and go, wow, look at the guys I had an opportunity to get in the ring with that could help me become a pro. So I was very fortunate. Ted, uh, for our listeners, can you explain the week? what you would do for a week of just one week in Mid-South wrestling, like the travel schedule. Cause I, I know it was brutal, but for people to kind of comprehend what you would do. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, let's start on uh, Monday, Monday night. And then uh, most guys had apartments either in Alexandria, Louisiana or Baton Rouge. I had an apartment in Baton Rouge. So Monday night was New Orleans. So that's the short trip. It's 80, 85 miles. But I'd go to New Orleans and wrestle there, come back. Tuesday night, I wrestled in Baton Rouge. But then I'd get up Wednesday morning, and I would drive from Baton Rouge to Shreveport. And that was 245 miles on two-lane highway back then. Uh, and every Wednesday, we would go to the TV station and do the interviews for the upcoming week. And then after doing the interviews, everybody got their checks. And then... I'd get back in my car and drive 200 miles from Shreveport to Jackson, Mississippi, wrestle in Jackson on Wednesday night, and then get back in my car and drive back to Baton Rouge. Uh, and then and, and then Friday night, you know, it was kind of a, a toss-up. That could be uh, and that could be any one of a number of towns. You know, it could it, can, it could have been Lafayette. It could you could you could have run up to Alexandria and back. Of course, Alexandria is 140 miles one way. Uh, you know, again, then on and then on Saturday you might have a short shot, which is Laranger, uh, which is not that far. Uh, and then you're and then you're back to to Sunday. And Sunday could have been, you know, again those were the in the variable days. But I mean. That was just in the southern southern part. Now, when this thing was blowing wide open, we would Bill would actually fly us. We would uh, we would go out of um, Shreveport. We would he would fly us from Shreveport to uh, Oklahoma City, and we'd work Oklahoma City Sunday afternoon. I mean Sunday, yeah, Sunday afternoon matinee show. And then they'd put us in vans and, and shoot us down to Tulsa. And then we'd work Tulsa Sunday night. So we'd work a double, two big cities in Oklahoma on the same day. And then Monday, get on a plane and, and be flown back to Baton Rouge. Wow. Uh, again, to, you know, to go to New Orleans that night and then, be, you know, start all over. But back then, I mean, we would only do the run to uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas every other week. It was just, it was brutal. I mean, if I'd have gotten paid by the mile, I'd be, I'd be the multi-million dollar. <laughs> 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 I 
Yeah. I mean, guys would, I mean, literally, if you bought a new car, I mean, and you, and you conservatively, because that's what guys would do, you know, you'd pick a week and one week you'd drive the next week, somebody else would drive. And you always, you know, wrestlers always bought big four door cars because that's, it was a necessity. And uh, you could still, you could still put a hundred thousand miles on your, your own vehicle in a year. Whoa. So, yeah. Crazy. Ted, uh, I was talking about um, Mid-South was really a, a working man's territory. If you couldn't cut it in the ring, you weren't going to make it there. And uh, I, I've said this to you privately, and I'll say it to you publicly. You, have, you could have been Mr. Perfect because you did everything perfect from your footwork, everything in the middle, from the way that you were trained. And like that territory had like, I was saying before you came on the air, Arn Anderson just starting to cut his teeth. Paul Orndorff, yourself, Dick Murdoch, uh, the Rock and Roll Express. There was so many excellent, excellent workers. And I'm always under old school, never die. But all you guys worked your tails off and you did it pretty much flawlessly. uh, Honestly, the only guy who wasn't the best was the junkyard dog, but he was the biggest draw. But you all, all you guys made him. But it was just such a working man's territory, which, you know, that wasn't like it when it was up north for Vince. But was it because Bill Watts was like your boss or was it just that's how you were ingrained? Well, I mean, personally, I growing up in the business, that's how I was. I was ingrained. I mean, it was like I, I had a love and a respect right. for the business, you know, before I ever set foot in the ring. And, you know, old school was you know, when you walked in the dressing room as a young guy. Uh, you know, it was almost like you didn't speak unless you were spoken to. And it was, then it was yes, sir. No, sir. I mean, everybody, you know, uh, you know, you had, you had to earn it. And, and I, 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 like I said, I give a lot of credit to Watts because he was totally old school. I mean, the guy, the guy, Bill's a brilliant guy. And, um, when I think back, I mean, and I think, I think about sometimes some of the finishes, he would give us these really long finishes. And sometimes I think that, I mean, if you could, you could blow the match. If you got the finish right, you know, you got the match over. I mean, it was crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that was back in those days when, uh, you know, in a territory like Mid-South, especially in the South, when you're going to a lot of those Cajun towns and stuff, especially if you're a heel. I mean, Watts would tell you, he says, if you get in a fight and you lose, you're fired. You know, so... You know, if you, you know, and, and that didn't happen often, but there were, a, there were a couple of times uh, where, you know, uh, it looked like we might have a riot and fill the ring. And I remember one night in Alexandria where uh, um, we did like a Mexican standoff. It was me and Murdoch backing out. And I can't remember who it was on the other side. And uh, I remember Dick saw him pick up a chair and I remember hearing Dickie goes, don't do it. And so he starts to swing the chair and he told me, he said, grab a chair, put it over your head. Cause he knew what was coming. As, as, as soon as that guy swung a chair, threw the chair across the, the uh, Coliseum, all the fans picked up a chair and they threw, they threw their chair. So that's crazy. The things that I remember, but um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, it was just the old school way. I mean, you, you learned how to do it right. And, uh, back then you know the the availability to be in the ring as a newcomer and and have somebody else in the ring who could lead you around by the nose um and point out those things to you 
you know, like uh, your footwork and all those other things. It, it was one of those things, you know, you either get it right or you're gone. <laughs> was shocking. Not, shocking. Accountability in wrestling? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you were, you were in Georgia Championship Wrestling, I know, in 1984 when Ole Anderson was in charge of Georgia Championship Wrestling and, you know, Cowboy Bill Watts. These are some of the, you know, the, the mythical, like, you know, larger-than-life personalities. Like, what, how would you compare a Cowboy Bill Watts to somebody like a Vince McMahon or somebody like to uh, an, an Ole Anderson? Well, you know, Ole was, you know, and I, and I never, you know, a lot of guys had a problem with Ole. Uh, I mean, Ole was, Ole was Ole and he was, he was harsh, but I never had a problem. He and I, he and I got along fine. And, and, and I don't know, maybe it's the same, the same school of, of thought of the same, you know, background, um, philosophy of business, but, um, but Bill Watts, I've, I've said this before about Bill, if Bill Watts had had the positioning and the money to do what Vince did. I believe Bill Watts could have done it better. Vince is a tremendous uh, uh, marketer. Uh, his, cap his, his ability to market his product is un unbelievable, second to none. But Vince himself, outside of a couple of totally arranged matches that we all have seen him have, uh, one with the president of the United States, um, you know, I mean, he was, he was, he was never a worker. Now he can talk about it, but unless you do it, unless you go out there and get in the ring and experience it, you don't really know it. Bill Watts knew the business. He knew it inside and out. And, and that's why, uh, again, the psychology of what we did. I mean, I would, I can remember watching Bill and, and even now when I go back and, and look at some of the old mid South stuff, uh, he would set people up in terms of, uh, uh, the things that he would say while he was commentating. Uh, I remember we did a thing with me before I turned heel where um, I can't remember who I was working with, but I, I, you know, he ducks and I hit the ring post and, you know, I'm wearing a cast on my hand. Of course that was, you know, I did, I didn't break my hand, but we wear the cast. And so the cast comes off like three weeks later or maybe uh, four weeks later. And uh, uh, so now I, I go from a cast to, this, this glove I'm wearing on my hand. And, and, and Watts would say things like during a match, like DiBiase is still nursing that, you know, his hand from that, you know, when he broke his wrist, da, 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 da. and all that leads up to, you know, then, then Junkyard Dog and I have a match for the North American title and we're both baby faces and we do the baby face interview and everything and best man win, you know, in, in there, it's all business when afterwards we're friends and, and so we have the match and uh, I, I go, I used to do a, uh, a funk spinning toe hold into a uh, figure four leg lock. And so dog kicks me off. I take the bump to the floor. He stops the count, gets me up, rolls me in the ring, the nice guy. And as he gets back in the ring, I go in my tights. I load the glove. I knock, I knock him out. He falls like a rock. One, two, three. I'm the new champion. And then Watts goes, DiBiase's been planning this thing for weeks. I mean, and, and all the, I mean, the heat that he could put on you just by, I don't know, the guy was brilliant. And uh, I really do. I believe that, uh, you know, and I knew that, you know, when he went to work for uh, Vince, you know, I didn't ever think that was going to work. 
<laughs> because, uh, and actually, he told me a story about something that happened at one of the TV shows, and Bill made a, a call on his own, which no one really, any agent would, or producer would have run to Vince, uh, but he just called the shot. Well, Vince said, you know, like, who, who did that? You know, like, you know, without asking me, you know, and it was Bill. Well, they rode back to Stanford, I guess, that night. The TV was close. And Bill said, Vince had the driver pull over to the side of the road. He said, I got to talk, talk to Bill for a minute. And Bill was going, am I going to have to fight this guy on the side <laughs> of the road? <laughs> and they got out. And, and he said, Vince looked at him and said, the call you made tonight was right. And he said, and here's the other thing I realized, I could put my company in your hands and let you run it. And you would run it extremely well. He says, but I just can't do it. And it was almost like Vince uh, admitting that Bill could do it, but he couldn't get, you know, he couldn't give up the, he couldn't give up the reins, the whole. I mean, you know, and I, and I, I have all the admiration for Vince in the world. I mean, I mean, my gosh, look what he did for wrestling. And I, you know, I don't know where wrestling would have been, you know, but uh, he was the guy that he's the guy that did it. You know, he's, a, you know, it's tenaciously, you know, his work ethic is second to none. It's just that, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, somebody's got two, in my opinion, he holds on to those, the reins too tight. You know, if you, you know, like he hires these guys to help produce his show you know, let them do what they do, you know, don't micromanage every little thing. And it's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, the, the, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, the only thing the Cowboys need is a new owner. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Jones, like he, he's a great businessman, yeah. but you know, he doesn't understand football and that's yeah, a big yeah. reason. Like, you know, that's a big reason why you lose a Jimmy Johnson as your head coach, because right. you, you're not putting your performers in the right place to perform. And I think you're absolutely right with that. Yeah. Teddy, uh, when you, you talk about uh, angles, uh, when you're describing that, like I have a flashback of all that stuff. And I remember one of the biggest, like Andre selling that glove and you dropping the giant with that glove. You've worked both sides, especially in the same territory. And what's lacking today when guys will switch or flip-flop, they don't believe in them. But you were a guy working in the same territory. And yeah, you would, you know, leave but they got behind you as a baby face. You, they hated you when you were healed. And then when you turned back, you never lost steam. And that was also because of some great angles, but also the person yeah. developing it. Like, right. and, but like you said too, like promos. I mean, if we're watching now during this pandemic, it's a lot of people trying to connect with an audience that's not there. You're doing right. it sometimes with no fans or a small studio audience and right. you're believable as believable can be. Um, it was just, you, you've made money on both sides, especially there, which is so, it's a lost art. And yeah. uh, you're, again, you're, lots. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're right, Tommy. It's like, and you know, you know it's like, and, and you can't blame the talent uh, because, you know, one of the missing things is, is, you know, the ability to, you know, the old territory days. I mean, we got, I got in the ring every night uh, from the first day with somebody who had more knowledge of what we were doing than I did. And that could lead me through a match. And I did it night after night, after night, after night in front of a live crowd. 
Well, that's the other thing is, and it's almost, uh, I think it's an acquired skill that just happens. I mean, I remember having a conversation with Terry Funk and Dick Murdoch. Uh, we went to Lubbock, Texas, and I think they wrestled each other. And, you know, we snuck out and met up with, went back to Amarillo. And I'm asking him a thousand questions. Why'd you do this? And why'd you do that? And he said, Teddy, you're not going to understand this. He says, but you will. He says, I can't answer the question. He says, because it's an acquired skill over a period of time. In other words, you get to a, 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 a place where you, you subconsciously, you're in tune with the crowd and every crowd's not the same. They're not going to all respond the same way or the way you want them to respond. And when they don't respond the way you would expect them to, then you better be able to think on your feet and shift gears and do something that that they will buy and 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 that's that's part of it and it's it's i can't even explain it right but the biggest thing that i've always told young guys is what i was always told think real and work because when you're out there you know think about if you were if you were you really in this match if you were really in a fight you know, it's kind of like some of the things that guys do, you know, you grab a guy by the hair of his head and with one hand, you run across the ring into a turnbuckle. Well, if you were in a real fight, could you do that? Never. Those little things all add up. And, and, and when you can, when you can captivate a crowd, some of the greatest wrestling matches I ever saw were uh, Dory Funk Jr. And Jack Briscoe, Terry Funk and Briscoe, um, uh, Harley race and, and, and Briscoe or a funk, you know, those guys, the, the match, the battle was, that was what, that was what was getting the people out of their seats and said, I mean, I'm smart to what's going on and I'm into the match. It's kind of like going to a movie, you know, they're actors, but if they can draw you into the story they're telling, uh, then they got you. And I, I mean, I think that's what it is. And I think that's the lost art. That's, you know, it's kind of like it's just, and I hear it from fans a lot, you know, too much showbiz, too much talk, you know, 20 minute dialogues in the middle of the ring. Uh, you know, and it's like, and a lot of people just say, you know, wrestling's not wrestling anymore. It's a soap opera. You know, and I, I, you know, I have, I hardly, hardly, I agree with them. It's like, well, yeah, you're kind of right. You're, uh, no, I'm sorry, Tom, go ahead. My favorite angle in professional wrestling, and I felt it was groundbreaking, was when you're, you talk about you were the hottest babyface and how you turned heel, but then when you're the hottest heel and you turn babyface with you versus Ric Flair, and here comes Dick Murdoch, he gives you the brain buster on the floor. They went behind the scenes where they really didn't do that back in the day, gave, gave these old medical updates. Uh, you come back, the spirit of 76 but it was like, here you are wanting to fight for the largest title of your life. Uh, your friend uh, screws you out of it. And then you have this amazing match with Ric Flair. The, I remember the spirit of 76, your blonde hair. And it was just so groundbreaking. But like I said, it was a, a great angle with, a, with great wrestlers. And then you instantly became the top baby face in like, Literally, what uh, an average television show is forty-eight minutes long. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's just amazing how that setup goes about. But that's from the mind of somebody to the yes. athletes that can perform it. Yeah, and, and again, I you know I everybody. I mean, I talked to so many people, and I said, you know, how, you know, how would 
how do you, would you describe the success of Miss South Wrestling? I said, Bill Watts. I said, look at look at the number of guys that that came up out of Mid South Wrestling and went on from there, and then went to the WWF and became, became stars, not just guys on the card, but stars. Uh, it's it's amazing. You know, it's it's and Tommy knows this, and I talk about it on Busted Open all the time. I was like a huge territory fan. I was a big NWA fan. So when Vince McMahon took that push and went national and started cherry picking all the top talent from the different territories and really changed the course of the business, I hated Vince McMahon. Like he was the enemy because, yeah. you know, he takes the junkyard yeah, yeah. dog and he, you know, he takes Ricky Steamboat. He takes all these top wrestlers. What was that like? Like, cause you kind of witnessed that firsthand because, you know, in 87, you jump ship over yeah. to the WWF as well. Like, what were people saying in the locker room? What was what was that experience like for you? Well, you know, it wasn't so much the locker room. I think the locker room was was starting to figure it out. But I remember the wake up call because I would I would watch some of the stuff Vince was doing early, like you know, and uh, you know, of course, old being old school, I mean, he's killing the business. He's killing the business. You know, uh, you know, making colorful cartoon characters out of everybody. Um, you know, but for me and my, you know, it's, it's, for me, the only difference was when I went to the WWF, I put on this outrageous suit with money signs on it. And I was, as a heel, I was already that kind of a heel. Uh, and so that, the, 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 the costume was the big thing for me, but, uh, but back to, back to, you know, like, you know, why the, the, why it was kind of like, when I, uh, I remember, uh, I can't remember what hotel I was in, but the day after WrestleMania three, I remember pick, picking up the, the newspaper at my motel door and it says the WWF sits win uh, indoor world attendance record. And I remember thinking and saying to myself right there, I said, if I am going to stay relative in the business, I'm going to have to end up there. Now at the time, I had a very good deal. I was, I had been given a, a really good deal. Stan Hansen was one of the biggest names in Japan ever. Uh, him and Brody were a big team. Brody jumped ship, goes to work for the other office for uh, New Japan, which left an opening. And, and uh, Stan comes to me and says, do you want to be my partner? <laughs> I said, are you kidding? And I said, absolutely. And so, I had that going for me, but even then, I remember uh, uh, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard, uh, his his initial uh, knowledge of wrestling came from working for Paul Bosch in Houston. Well, that's where I met Bruce. It was in Houston, and I, I didn't know, but eventually uh, Bill bought Houston from Paul Bosch. Well, I remember uh, we're standing outside of the in the the arena watching a match and. Bruce says, hey, he says, I'm, I'm going up to New York next week. And I was getting ready to go to Japan. And he says, I'm going up there to interview for a job. And I said, well, I said, I said, drop my name. I said, because I already had a conversation with Pat. I mean, uh, when, when this thing, when the thing started and, and uh, you know, they were going to go to Atlanta and then, you know, you know, Vince said, I, I don't need to do a show here. I've got a show. I just want to run around your network. Anyway, I remember Pat Patterson came in the dressing room and I was still, I was still working. This was in, in 84. 
I was in Atlanta and, and, uh, and I remember saying to Pat, I said, Pat, I said, cause he was assuring everybody that they had a job. I said, there's a difference between having a job and having a position. I said, the way I see it, all the positions are taken right now. I said, so when a position comes open for me, let me know. In the meantime, you know, I called Bill and I left Atlanta and went back to work for him in 84. And, uh, and so I, I had no idea. I had no idea that three years later, you know, all of this stuff would go down and uh, it would become what it become. And so I said, well, and so I go to Japan and I get, I come in one night. And, uh, there's a message for me uh, from, uh, from Bruce. And he says, call me as soon as you can. And I called Bruce and he says, two things have happened. He said, number one, he says, when you go back to uh, Mid-South, uh, Bill Watts is no longer your boss. <laughs> I said, what? He said, he, he sold the territory to Jim Crockett. Wow. And he said, the other, the other news, which is more important, is that do not, under any circumstances, sign anything with Jimmy Crockett until you have a chance to talk to Vince McMahon because he's extremely interested in you. And so then the rest is history. Ted, I got uh, two questions for you. One, what was your highest paycheck working in Mid-South? Wow. Probably one of those big shows uh, when we, when Vince would run, you know, he would, he ran the Superdome. You know, this is before anybody was running arenas like that. You know, of course he never sold it, don't sold it out or, you know, came near to filling it. But for a wrestling crowd, you know, probably three grand. Wow. That's it. That's crazy. You make yeah. more now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My other one isn't, isn't really a question, but I'm going to send you this link. But I want to know how the hell this happened. Here comes Dick Murdoch. He's doing the Captain Redneck gimmick. He's got the hat. He's got the fatigues. He comes out. And here's Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Dick Murdoch stops. And it's, I mean, this is live in front of all the fans. You can watch it on the network. And he points to his head like, hmm, I forgot something. He goes into the duffel bag. And Bill Watts is like, uh, what is he looking for? And first he pulls out uh, a T-shirt. Then he pulls out a six-pack of beer. He pulls out another six-pack of beer. He pulls out his fanny pack. And Bill Watts is literally sitting like, what is Captain Redneck doing? And then he goes in and he acts so surprised. And he pulls out his trunks and he puts his trunks on on television. <laughs> <laughs> and I would think he was either butt-ass naked, but you never saw because he had that, like, army fatigue sh long shirt on. Yeah. But I was like, how the hell did Dick Murdoch just get away with that in front of him? He, like, ribbed the boss. <laughs> well, well, and he, well, he he had his undertights on. And I'll tell you, I mean, that, <laughs> you was there. that was a favorite of Dick Murdoch. Here's, here's another same, <laughs> same scenario. This is in Amarillo, Texas. And, you know, there's a match going on and he's supposed to do the run in to make the big save. And so when, he leave, when you see him come bolting out of the dressing room, he's got toilet paper hanging out uh, of his undertights, right? Yeah, and he, he runs in the ring and he's got his tights in his left hand. And so these guys are coming at him, and he's knocking them down. Bang, bang, bang. And everybody's down, rolls out of the ring, and he looks in his hand, and he goes, oh, like, oh, my gosh. And then he puts them on real quick you know, <laughs> in front of the people. Only Dick Murdoch 
away with that. Only Dick. That's oh my awesome. gosh. This that's amazing. Mr. DiBiase, thank you so much for the time. We could talk to you for hours. So many stories that I really and actually you made a great move because when Crockett took over Mid-South, like he kind of buried Mid-South, you know, like you know, all those top superstars just, you know, they kind of just everybody that was a part of, you know, world championship wrestling. So you made the best move you possibly could by jumping yeah. ship to the WWF at that time. Absolutely. Well, you know, I had never gone to Charlotte either. You know, I, you know, I was never a big fan of Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. DiBiase, thank you. And, and you're, you're a man of faith, obviously, and you always spread that word. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that and I appreciate you and, and thank you so much for the time. And thank you so much for sharing memories of Mid-South. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, and the guy you got co-hosting is a, is a pretty good guy too. I love Tommy. He's a good man thank with you, a good heart. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a real deal. So uh, thank you guys. And, hey, uh, this too will pass. Yep, it will. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. DiBiase. Appreciate it. Ted DiBiase, Hall of Famer. You're listening to Busted Opens Remembering the Territories, Mid-South Wrestling Special, only on Sirius XF Fight Nation Channel 156. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barack Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. This is Busted Opens Remembering the Territories Mid-South Wrestling Special. Here's Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Remembering the Territories Mid-South Wrestling. My gosh, how great was Ted DiBiase, Tommy? When I tell you, I couldn't be more excited when I was working in the WWE and Ted DiBiase came in there and first he was on creative and I had, I never met him before. And I had at my disposal, across the hall from me, Ted DiBiase and Dusty Rhodes. And they were friends, and I was friends with Dream. And, like, we just all hit it off. And then after he left, I've been on so many indies with Ted, and I spent a weekend in England with him once. And uh, we had just a car ride. He's just so full of knowledge. And if there was ever a person who's walked the walk and talked the talk, it's him and uh it, it, it's great to see him. He looks fabulous. And uh, his stories, it, it, the, you know, coming from the wrestling business his entire life, just that travel schedule alone. And we're talking Mid-South and we're talking about the, the territory. The territory changes, too, with the different booker when they brought in, uh, it was Jerry Jarrett who basically Bill Watts said, hey, what do you think I'm, uh, what's wrong here? And he's just like, you got nobody who wants to like the girls. Like you have all these like tough looking dudes, because if you look at wrestling, every territory, the booker or the owner has the guys who basically they see a reflection of themselves. Bill Watts, big, tough, burly man, uh, who a lot of his guys were big, tough, burly men. And, but here came, you know, he brings in Bill Dundee as his booker and he has the rock and roll express, to bring in the girls, then later the Fantastics, the Midnight Express, and the territory just booms with the expansion or the 
of the company was super duper big and being on cable, the whole oil crisis became a big issue for why the, the company went away. But honestly, I, I watch it every single night and it's just, it's, it's art to me. And it's just the things that were, they were doing. And when he said it was all Bill Watts, man, it was just, it was brilliant. It really was. Yeah, and we're we obviously throughout these weeks, we're going to talk about some of the greatest territories of all time. And as I said at the top of the show, most people would say Mid-South is the best territory of all time. I, I actually have a personal favorite outside of Mid-South, but I can understand people saying Mid-South. And he talked about the crowds they drew. Like you mentioned, the Superdome, you know, what they, you know drawing over 30,000 fans the miles that they had to clock. And then you look at the sale, Bill Watts selling to Jim Crockett. Everybody talks about with WCW and the WWF and how the WWF pretty much squashed WCW. Man, you want an example of that? Look at what Crockett Promotions did to Mid-South. I mean, they did just that. They like, whether it was Steve, Dr. Death Williams or Terry Taylor, right down the line, they pretty much squashed. Mid-South Wrestling, UWF at the time, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, it sucks because if you ever wanted to think like if how you could have competed and stayed relevant, um, but egos, just like when when Ted was saying Bill Watts and Vince McMahon, he knew it wouldn't last, um, especially if this is your baby. And like I look at what happened and a lot of these parallels with Mid-South and ECW you know, Paul was a little different because Paul was getting a paycheck from WWE, but it's, you can, I always say Paul Heyman, who, you know, sat under the tree of Dusty as well, was super duper creative, but when he has limitations, your creativity gets stifled. And that's going to be the same with, with a Bill Watts because he sees something one way as opposed to what Vince McMahon sees. And it's just, it was, it was a fascinating listen because for, for you and for me, it's like, what if? And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking about Junkyard Dog, Jake the Snake, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jim Ross. Jim Ross, his first announcing gig is in Mid-South. And, you know, Bill Watts is grooming this guy because Bill, Bill's putting over the stories. He's also the boss. And it's his vision. And just like as simplistic as things were, or like I'm just, I was just listening to him do an interview with Jim Cornette. And he's like, I've only seen managers who were ex wrestlers, but here you are. And he's like, you little sissy, you little guy who doesn't look like uh, you could fight your way uh, out of anything. And Jim Cornette was like, you're right. But why should I when I could just buy anything I want for my mom's money? And it's that little simple thing of, I know I could kick this guy's ass, but I can't get to him because he's got two guys in front of him. And it makes you want to see people kick the guy's ass or why you loved the junkyard dog who at the time he was the worst worker there, but he surrounded him with great wrestlers to make him bigger than he was. And it's so funny because you, uh, you were saying that with Ted DiBiase, that probably junkyard dog wasn't that crisp wrestler in the ring. But there was nobody in the history of Mid-South that was more over than the Junkyard Dog. But you're right. It's because of the people that surrounded JYD that made those matches un so unbelievable. And the emotion of that, and you know, to the point where people, fans, were sending money to the Junkyard Dog because they thought he was really blind. That realism 
and and it gave me goosebumps when Ted DiBiase was mentioning Cowboy Bill Watts and how, you know, if he played his cards right and things went a different way, how maybe, you know, it would have been Mid-South that was the UWF and went national. Maybe we'd be looking at pro wrestling in a completely different way in 2020 because, Tommy, when, when Mid-South was on TBS in 1985, it got better ratings than anybody, including, you know, Crockett Promotions, which mainstay was uh, was a part of TBS. So you think about that, like, hey, man, if things would have gone a little bit differently, who knows what kind of wrestling we'd be looking at in 2020. And then Ted DiBiase, who, you know, became a character that every everybody knows the Million Dollar Man. Even though I love that black glove on his on his hand, his most iconic personality was the one in the WWF. And even Ted DiBiase was saying that some of what we saw then and now was a little bit more entertainment than what pro wrestling is that he grew up on. Yeah, and, and times change, but I mean, he made a lot more money uh, wrestling for Vince than he did for uh, Bill Watts. And that's what it will always come down to is money. And, you know, you look at the landscape of today with AEW, with WWE, with Impact Wrestling, <clears throat> uh, New Japan, Ring of Honor. Everyone has to, there's, it's a little bit of like a, that territorial pie, but whoever is going to make slash draw slash learn from all the mistakes of the people from the past is who is going to succeed and who is going to fail. Yeah, and that's and that person is the one that's going to rewrite history. So you know, like it's going to be their side of the story, whether it's WCW or Mid South. It's always going to have that slant of the WWF and WWE and sports entertainment. Man, Tommy, this was so much fun. I mean, doing this show with you and then talking to somebody like Ted DiBiase, this was one hell of an hour reflecting on Mid South wrestling. Absolutely. It's one of the best. You should check it out on YouTube. Check it out on the WWE Network. I do it every night. I'm right now stuck in 1984 and I never want to leave. I'm 13 years old and I'm just loving professional wrestling. And you will see so many Hall of Famers and so many things just done right. And I keep on saying it and I make, you know, with Bully at his school, once the school reopens, I make them watch Mid-South Wrestling from 82 because it is a working man's territory. And if you want to learn how to be a professional wrestler, a booker or an announcer, start watching old school wrestling because it's what we've seen now with this whole pandemic. Uh, it's, it's trying to get over. And when you get over, you're, never, you're always going to be over. Yeah, I can't wait to what territory we're going to talk about next, Tommy, but I'll be doing it with you. Again, it's Remembering the Territories, the Mid-South Edition. Thanks for listening. This has been Busted Opens, Remembering the Territories Mid-South Wrestling Special. Check SiriusXM On Demand for more SiriusXM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 